This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum. This is Yasmin Mujahid, and you're listening to Serenity, streaming live on One Legacy Radio. Today we have a very, very special show um, because we have our first guest on the show and it's a very special guest um, because, um, one, because she happens to be my sister um, and second, because um, her name is Dalia Mujahid and um, Dalia, inshallah, we'll, we'll introduce her in a little bit. Um, and first I want to talk about you know, what we'll be discussing today. Uh, we'll be talking about um, an issue which, which a lot of people basically struggle with and this is the idea of... Uh, how to seek and find uh, divine help during times of hardship. And the times of hardship, uh, basically, we're talking here not just about the, you know, and this is one of the main things, is that trials and tests do not just come in the form of, you know, huge losses, um, the death of a family member or, um, you know, the loss of a job. These are considered, you know, bigger things. But but we actually encounter trials every single day of our life, small things in our life that we have to go through, uh, and how is it that we can seek divine help during those times of trial. And one of the stories that uh, really inspires me um, when, when, when I think about the issue of seeking divine help uh, is, is the story of Essia. Um, and Essia was the wife of Pharaoh. And Essia was a woman who actually, um, she... She was a queen, and yet she she saw something beyond this life that she valued more than she values this life, and that was uh, the home in the hereafter. And what's really interesting about Asya's story is it's a story about a woman who goes through uh, the greatest trial, really one of the greatest trials that any person can imagine going through. She's actually physically uh, tortured by her husband, who was the worst tyrant ever to walk the earth, um, Pharaoh. And and what's really amazing about her story is that even while she's being tortured, something amazing happens. Um, and inshallah, we're going to discuss more about her story. But I want to, inshallah, um, introduce our very special guest. Uh, Jadia Mujahid is the director of the Abu Dhabi Gallup Center, as well as the Gallup Center for Muslim Studies. She is the co-author of Who Speaks for Islam? What a Billion Muslims Really Think?, and Delia was the first Muslim woman to serve on the White House Advisory Council on Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. Assalamu alaikum, Delia. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. One thing that you're going to find is that we sound very much alike, so it's going to be difficult to tell who's speaking, but inshallah, um, you know, we'll, we'll do our best. Um, uh, thank you for joining us today, Delia. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Uh, it's our pleasure having you. Thanks. Uh, I think the topic is so important because uh, it's, it's something that a lot of us struggle with. We're all uh, going through our life, dealing with different situations, uh, whether we are in in a situation where we're where we're out in the in the public space or leading private lives. We have so many things being thrown at us and. Uh, Learning how to cope with those things and even thrive 
throughout that trial is is really the the answer to happiness. Now you mentioned the issue of living a public life and I think that a lot of us live some sort of a a public life on you know on one level or another but I think you uh have have really been put in the public sphere and and so I I would, I'd like to ask you how how do you cope with you know the I you know all the challenges that come with having this this you know this public life. I think that Leading a public life presents a number of challenges and that uh, all really go back to having to constantly question our intentions and constantly ask ourselves, why are we doing what we do? Uh, when, when you're under public scrutiny or uh, when you, what you say is, is, really looked at very closely and often even misrepresented by some people you you constantly have to ask yourself why why are you continuing to to work or what what really is your mission uh, the other things that you ha- you have to deal with are um, the uh, the attachment that you might have to your work which which might seem very important to you uh, it might seem, very necessary and so you you become very um focused on it which all these things are good but at the end of the day uh what we do and and the the vehicles that we uh occupy in our journey um back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have to always be seen as a means and not a mission unto themselves and i think that it's very easy to lose sight of that uh, in, in our lives in general. You mentioned um, a really important term here, and that is the issue of attachments. And I think that a lot of times we become attached to things uh, where we don't realize where our attachments are, and we things which uh, should be our means actually become our goals. Can you talk a little bit about how it is that, uh, you know, especially in the context of having a public life, and, and this applies to anyone who's who's doing dawah, anyone who has a um, you know, any kind of leadership position or even just, you know, within within their own family or community structure. How, how can you talk a little bit about what happens when you mix your means and your ends? It's a very important topic because I, I've seen this issue destroy communities, uh, even even in some cases destroy friendships where one person will build an organization or build a, a even a project, and they'll become more connect more attached to that project than the very mission that they were trying to serve in creating that organization or project. And so, the the way you test yourself, the way that um, you know, the question that I think we need to always ask ourselves is: Am I more afraid of disobeying Allah, or am I more afraid of losing or having this? organization or or a project taken from me and and i think that that question is is so important because if when we start to to fear loss and it's and it might you know on the surface seem very even noble um to to want to protect what you've built to want no one to steal it from you to want no one to uh, take credit for what you've worked so hard for. And yet, when that becomes the ultimate focus and the ultimate fear, 
a lot of things suddenly become very justified in your mind. And I think it's a very important question to constantly ask ourselves, to constantly keep in the front of our minds, uh, especially in, in the realm of public work uh, or being a public servant, especially in politics, if, if anyone is, is considering that field. It's a, it's a, it's a field filled with so many traps and stumbling blocks. And and you you mentioned you know kind of pointed in the direction of one of one of my favorite quotes. Um, and I'm just this is just a shout out to Star Wars. Um, but the the, the quote a uh, Yoda right the Yoda quote where um, the fear of loss is a path to the dark side. And and you know the idea here that that I think you're touching upon is that when we do have these attachments and we're so afraid of losing these things that we start to uh, act in ways which which may end up being very immoral. Uh, and and because our focus is that we're scared to death of losing something, uh, whether it's a, we're scared to death of losing a position of power, or we're scared to death of losing a person, or we're scared to death of losing our job, whatever it is that we become very attached to. Um, inshallah, I'm going to go ahead and take a short break now, and when we return, we'll continue speaking to Delia Mujahid of the Gallup Center for Muslim Studies. Assalamu alaikum. This is Yasmin Mujahid, and you're listening to Serenity on One Legacy Radio. Today we have a very special guest, Delia Mujahid. We're speaking to uh, Delia, who is the director of the Abu Dhabi Gallup Center as well as the Gallup Center for Muslim Studies. Uh, Delia published um, a book which which talks about the data of the largest study done of the Muslim world um, in which they polled um, you know Muslims from all over uh, you know the Middle East and the, and the Muslim world and it's uh, you know it's if you can tell us a little bit about it I mean it's the the only study of its kind yes we uh, at Gallup we collected survey uh, survey research on Muslim opinion from more than 90% of the global Muslim population, by far the largest study ever done. And we asked people directly their their views on things as diverse as gender, their views of violence, their views of the West, democracy. And we really allowed people to speak for themselves, to express their own views rather than being spoken for and compiled all of that and wrote a book. I had the pleasure and honor of co-authoring the book with Dr. John Esposito. Uh, And the book came out in 2008 and and really uh, finally gave the silenced majority a voice. Yeah, and and that's you know, and that's the thing. As a result of you know the the book and all the you know the media that that the data has. you know, garnered. Uh, you have, I think, had to face also a lot of, um, you know, people who critique or you know, people who are, um, you know, hard on on the the type of data that 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 you are presenting because a lot of it it goes against, uh, you know, what we have been hearing in the media. Um, for example, I know one of the uh, the really important data points that we found is that. Uh, you know that you found is that is that violence is not motivated by religious 
um, you know, motivation, but rather political. And, and can you speak a little bit about that finding? Certainly. We, at Gallup, we found that the minority of Muslims who say that they thought the attacks of 9-11 were morally justified, the, this group, which we classify in the book as politically radicalized, when we ask them why they feel that way, why do they agree or, or feel that the attacks were justified, not a single one of those respondents cited religious justifications. Not a single one uh, went to the Quran for uh, an ayah to, to explain their views. Instead, they spoke in a very secular language. They spoke in terms of their political views and uh, this idea of reciprocity. This is the same kind of violence in their mind that is done to Muslims. And therefore, you know, according to their logic, it's justified to do it back. So it's actually an idea that is essentially rejected by the Quran. And it's interesting because the majority that say that the attacks were unjustified, it's only among this group that we hear religious justifications for why the attacks were wrong. This is where we hear verses from the Quran, like uh, the one that talks about a murder, killing one innocent person is as if you've killed all of humanity. It, it's it's in, in this group that we um, that we have references to the Quran, uh, and uh, and it's really to explain someone's moral objection uh, to to violence that we hear about religion. So basically, what you found is that people who uh, justify violence uh, they use political reasons, and those who do not justify violence use is- Islamic or religious reasons to ju- to explain. Exactly, mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what we found, um, and. And I think that it's it's very interesting to to do this kind of research and to um, to get the facts in front of people so that we're we're perceiving the world according to reality rather than assumption. And that is very important. And in, in, in bringing it back to the idea, you know, be, because of this very, very important research that you've done and presenting, you know, this data that, that perhaps goes against everything that we're hearing in the news where, you know, the idea that we hear in the news is that um, it's this concept of um, Islamic violence, right? It's Islamic terrorism. It's So the idea that, that we're, we're fed in the media is that it's somehow this violence has to do with Islam. It's connected to Islam. And what the data actually shows is that, it, in fact, it's not connected to Islam. Even in the in the minds of the extremists themselves, it's rather, it, rather it's politically motivated. Um, and so I think, um, you know, what 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 has happened as a result of, of you presenting this is you've probably come under um, some attack from, from, you know, some fringes. Now, how do you personally, um, you know, on a, on a personal spiritual level, how do you, um, you know, take that in, in stride? How do you, how do you respond? I, I, um, it, it's, you know, it's not an easy thing. It's not, a, it would be very, it would be uh, inauthentic to say that it doesn't bother me at all, or I just let it uh, slide right off. It, it, it does at first bother me because in many cases, it's just, False. It's just it's simply mm-hmm. false accusations. Things are not only taken out of context, but in some cases completely fabricated, and they're spread all over the internet. And so there's a part of you that that is just angry at the false accusations. It's very hard to 
to not have that be your first reaction. Uh, but in in moving ahead, I um, I I just go back to really the importance the importance of the work, and um, and and see that these things are. You know, like many of my friends tell me, they're just proof of the importance of the work. If it wasn't important, if it wasn't consequential, no one would attack it. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's it's good to keep reminding yourself. But I think that the um, the main point is that I I am not doing this to you know win friends or uh, influence people. <laughs> I'm I'm simply doing this work because I think it's it's needed and it's very important and. Um, whatever good comes of it, it's I'm I'm happy to see, um, and the I, I've never been worried about being popular, and uh, I you know I think this is a good preparation for that. Yeah, and and you know and and talking you know about the whole idea of doing your work, doing what you have to do, and I think you're sort of touching upon an important aspect of that, and that's detachment. Detachment from what the, you know, what the people are going to say, what the people, um, whether they're your fans or they're your critics, you have to sort of, in order to really be able to succeed, you have to, uh, take a step back from all of that and, and really detach yourself from either the, 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 the critics or the fans. I think that's exactly right. Uh, I, I think that we really have to be indifferent to both the attacks of our critics and the the, the praise the, the praise of our fans. It, it, when I say indifferent, I don't mean that we don't hear critics as if we're perfect and you know we there's no way that we could have done anything wrong. We should of course be open to feedback, but the what I mean by critics in in that context is indifferent to the unfair attacks where you're you're being essentially smeared. That 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 really being popular cannot be the goal of any kind of work. It can't be the goal of any public service. And I think that that on a grander scale, that really brings us to the examples that we've had in the past of the prophets, peace be upon them, and the idea that the most of these um, you know callers, right? They weren't popular um, as well. And and I think that um, uh, you know, like I when I when I look at it from from you know a spiritual sense. Uh, is that you know, for example, the story of Essia, um, and you know, this is this is a woman who, um, you know, she underwent this this great hardship, and I think everyone within their um, within their space, you know, they they might be saying something, standing up for something that they believe in, or standing up for truth, um, where you know it's not necessarily it's not necessarily popular, and and in in doing that, um, I think you have to. Uh, you know, really, like you said, uh, check your intentions. Um, is your loyalty to the truth or is your loyalty, you know, to, to really presenting things as they are? Or are you, you know, trying to please those who those who may be hearing it or, you know, may or may not like what what it is that that, you know, the truth has to say. And I think in terms of speaking about data, um, the great thing about having data is that it takes it completely out of the realm of opinion right and of anecdotes it's not you know a lot of so much of what's been in the media so far um has to do with anecdotes has a lot of a lot of it has to do with um you know just uh these generalizations that have that have built have been built about muslims and um i think the the wonderful thing about finally having this data is it really takes it out of that 
um, sphere. And now you're, you know, you're not you're not talking opinions anymore, but rather the data speaks for itself. It it does, and I think that going back to the original uh, conversation about hardships and and going through um, going through times of of difficulty. I think that there's a very important connection between this idea of being in the public space, being attached to your profile or to your popularity, and and this idea of hardships. Because it, it's really um, – if you start to delude yourself into thinking that you are necessary, that without you the world crumbles and without you the work ends and without you uh, your organization will, will fail um, – it's when you start to rely on yourself too much to to make you know your work seem like the the pillar of of what of what good happens in the world or even in your own sphere it's really then when hardships become very very heavy when it does become up to you and interestingly it's it's when you have such an over um, an overdeveloped sense of self importance and self self quote unquote reliance that uh, that you you truly become the least significant you, um, you and you feel every ounce of the hardship in in all its its weight in all its uh, in all its difficulty. Because you don't want to share the load with anyone else. It might seem like a very self-sacrificing thing to do. But in fact, it's, it's a very self-oriented thing to do. Um, it, it, it's very, these, these two things are very related. And, it, and it's interesting because I think, unfortunately, we suffer from this a lot within our communities. Of um, You'll see like a lot of different uh, aspects of of the community are tend to be like a one man show type situation, right? Where you have either, uh, you know, whether it's the board of the masjid or it's a school or it's some, any, unfortunately our institutions, um, within the Muslim community tend to be this one man show where one person has become so attached to the, um, the thing itself, right? Which is supposed to be a means and, and doesn't want to let it, anyone else to, to have that, um, that control and unfortunately i think that that this is um sort of s- the root of this is what you were speaking about is this idea that of self-importance that you know you you think that um the work will crumble without me you know and again it's a it's a it's a it's an illusion um of self-reliance it's an illusion it is and and it does hurt our institutions uh, they they become not institutions but uh bricks built around an individual and and therefore they have no longevity. They they aren't things that 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 stay beyond one person. And so you have so many situations where this idea of founders syndrome, which which is something that is everywhere. It's not just among Muslims, but it's the the founder that can't let go, that can't um, allow others to come in. So and, and these struggles can can really destroy very important and, and well-intentioned efforts. Now, what are some things that you would recommend? Now, we've been talking about, you know, um, basically the concept of seeking divine help uh, in our trials, whether, you know, ev- all of us go through trials different 
uh, different types of trials, uh, big trials, small trials? What are what are some things that we can do um, on a practical level uh, to really uh, seek seek divine help? And and just like you know, we talked about the story of Essia, the thing that made her trial become light on her. Uh, and 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 bearable uh, is the fact that she was able to see her home in Jannah, and and I just love that. I mean, literally, she saw her home in Jannah, and and although we, as you know, we we you know regular people, we are never going to see with our physical eyes our home in Jannah in this life, um, but yet our hearts can see that home, and and if we allow our hearts to see that home. All of our trials can also become light on us um, in the same way that subhanallah that that her trial um, became so light on her that she was she was even able to smile so i i mean what 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 are some things that we can sort of take home with us and in, in, in dealing with with our own trials and seeking seeking allah's help i I think that there are there are several things, and even just going back to the story of uh say that as yet. This idea of seeing your home in Jannah, if we bring that to, to our immediate lives, what it means is a vision, uh, a futuristic outlook, a focus on something other than the immediate clamor of, of life's pettiness. And it's that taking that very long view of things that those, those small things, those small battles, those small hardships – you, you can see them for what they truly are, is, is minutia, things that won't matter um, probably in five days, let alone five years, let alone 50 years. And, and I think that that long view is one key aspect of, of moving past the small things. That is, that is an excellent point. And I think the idea of perspective and having a, you know, um, stepping back, sometimes we really can't understand um, our own lives, in fact, can't even see our own lives until we first take a step back and really look at the big picture in terms of how we deal with, with, you know, everything that, that is thrown and thrown at us, um, you know, in everyday type things. Um, inshallah, what I'll do now is take a break and, um, we'd like to hear from you on the chat box, inshallah, sharing your own struggles and maybe some advice that you'd like to give to others on how to seek divine help. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, you're listening to Serenity, and this is Yasmin Mujahid. Um, I'm speaking today with Delia Mujahid. Uh, she has the same last name as me because she's my sister, and um, she is uh, also the director. Besides being my sister, she's the director of the Abu Dhabi Gallup Center um, and the Gallup Center for Muslim Studies. And um, I'm very happy to have her um, today. She's our first guest on Serenity. Inshallah, um, we hope to, um, you know. Inshallah, have her, have her again. Uh, and inshallah, you know, what we're speaking about today is the idea of finding and seeking divine help during our trials, during our times of hardship. And, um, you know, we've been speaking with Delia about the idea of, um, having a public life and, you know, the trials and, you know, the, the, the difficulty that comes along with, with having any type of, um, public figure, you know, have, being a public figure. 
and 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 how this basically uh how we can apply this in all of our lives because all of us um whether we are public figures or or not we all face uh trials every single day and and we seek you know we look at the examples of the people who came before us and we really get inspiration from their lives and you know one thing uh that I that I wanted to share is this idea um it's actually an idea that I used to have uh, a myth I I would say and that is that um hardships uh, can kind of be categorized in this objective way where uh, there's a certain hardship which is always difficult and there's another, you know, lesser hardship which is always not difficult or as difficult. For example, um, according to this ideology, um, you know, the loss of a loved one is always going to be more difficult to bear than getting a speeding ticket or ge- being stuck in, in, in a traffic jam. And this idea of, again, hardship as this objectively difficult or objectively less difficult thing, um, I think is very, is actually incorrect and is inaccurate. And, and that the only thing that makes something difficult or makes something easy on me to bear is only one thing, and that's divine help. That's the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what that means is that I could be going through the most difficult hardship. And we talked about the examples, um, you know, example of Asya, for example. I could be going through the most difficult hardship, but if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy on me, it will be easy on me. It will be easy to bear. And on the other hand, something as small as being stuck in a traffic jam or getting a f- parking ticket or, or, you know, not doing well on an exam, that something like that without divine help will be so heavy on me and difficult for me to bear. And so the true, really, the true ingredient which determines whether something is difficult or easy is divine help. It's how much has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this difficulty or this trial easy on me. And we're, you know, we're talking with Delia and, um, you know, about the idea of, uh, you know, what are, what are some things that we can do? I think on a practical level, a lot of times people want to be able to take home what they hear and be able to apply it. And, you know, I think one of the things that you really emphasized was, uh, seeing the bigger picture and realizing that these little obstacles that we face in our life, when you really take a step back, they're just minor. They're, they're, in fact, they're, they're not, they're insignificant, um, in terms of the final goal. Can you speak a little more about that? I, I think that that's exactly right. And it's, it's, it's taking that long view, taking, uh, focusing on that idea of the, the end goal, which is really Jannah. Uh, that idea of Essia saw her, her palace or her home in Jannah. And that's how she was able to endure all of these things because she saw them for what they were. They were insignificant scrimmages um, on a very long stage toward uh, that she could see and, and saw the, the end product. The, the other thing that I think is really important to do is to imagine all of the things that you're not dealing with mm-hmm. that, that aren't going wrong, mm-hmm. that could have gone wrong because they're going wrong for other people. Um, so if, if you're dealing with, you know, if you're dealing with something as, as horrible as the, you know, the death of a loved one, you can imagine all of the people that are still with you that, that you, that you're able to still see and talk to every day. Um, if, if you're dealing with something like an illness, there's always, um, the idea of all the things that could have gone wrong and worse. Uh, I, I remember that 
um, I had to deal with uh, an illness uh, of one of my children, and they were in the hospital for several weeks. It was a very hard time for our family, and I was very stressed out. But when we were in the hospital, we we saw other children that weren't going to leave in three weeks that were were there and had been there for literally years. They had a terminal illness and they could not leave the hospital. They they just lived there. They were always going to live there. And so it just put things into perspective to mm-hmm. to really see all the things that you're not dealing with rather than focusing on um, the, little, the little the uh, little inconvenience really that that you're having to to work on at that moment. And it's interesting that you bring up that story because it was something I was actually thinking about recently uh, is that, and this goes back to the idea that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his hardship or he sends the trial, he also sends the uh, provision to deal with the trial. So for example, um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously there are, he, he sends the cold, he sends the hunger, but he also sends the heat, the warmth, and he sends the food. And similarly with, with the trials that we face, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his, sends sabr, he sends patience, and he sends in some cases rida, like contentment. And I think that's what you're really touching upon is the ability in the hardship to be able to look at it and see everything that you have rather than looking at everything that you don't have. And one thing I remembered in, in terms of when, when, when he was sick is that I think that this was something I always remember you saying is just how the one thing that was really difficult for you to, to like cope with is, the, is any, like when children are sick. And I remember that that was like a big thing for you, um, that that was one of the hardest things for you is when children are, 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 are very ill. And subhanAllah, that was the test that was sent to you at some point, yeah. you know, that, that he was very sick. And, and, and I remember the fact that she, um, you know, that you, the doctors didn't know like what they were doing. Like they didn't mm-hmm. know what was wrong. It was, it was such a test of, of trust. It was such a test of tawakkul because you, you know, people want to be able to put their trust in something concrete. And, and in those cases, you would, you want to put your trust in the doctor that I know what I'm doing. But the point, but what was made very clear in your situation was they had no idea what they were doing. They were just groping in the dark and they didn't even know what was wrong. It, they didn't. It was, it was really, um, an interesting situation of, of, uh, the longer he stayed in the hospital, literally the worse he got and the more complications he, and he, he developed. And it was very obvious that they really didn't know what was wrong. They were trying different things. It was very much a process of trial and error. And, um, and, and so it was made so clear that, um, this was the means and inshallah at some point they would hit on something that would work, but that it was very clear that they we weren't in control. We couldn't rely mm-hmm. on, on these concrete visible, um, means and, um, and and it was just a matter of dua, uh, and so it was it was a process of um, of really pulling yourself out of the the inertia of what is physical, and and focusing on on what is real, and uh, and that was um, that was Allah's will and and His power to heal, and and of course that's that's what uh, ended up working at the end. And I remember the the amazing thing about it too is it all began with just like a, a cold or something and it was just it just started it was it was the other thing is that there was no um predicting it. It was it was very shocking. You it know, came way, out of nowhere. Yeah. It was a perfectly healthy child. 
mm-hmm. who three days later was doing an emergency uh, surgery to clear his lungs of liquid when he literally oh, couldn't no. breathe. So it was it was a very out of nowhere shock. Uh, it wasn't something that we saw coming or was it was in any way gradual. And I mean, I remember that I went to Umrah right before I got married. This was years and years ago. I was with you. Right. Yeah. And and that and it was during Ramadan, the last 10 days. And I remember there in Mecca, my first time there, my, my dua in, in so much earnest was to have healthy children. It, yeah, I remember that was so important. <laughs> I'm so scared of... That was like illness. a big thing for you in children. Yeah. Yes, even before I had them, before I was even married. So it's such an it's just you know such a lot so interesting that that would be what would happen. Um, I, I think that the the other thing that is really important to to keep in mind when we're going through a hardship is uh, is that anytime we are tempted to feel anger. Or, or sort of resentment or a certain sense of unfairness. There's several things that I think we have to keep in mind. First, uh, if we were to be punished in this world according to our actions, that hardship would seem like a very light punishment, n- literally no matter what it is, mm-hmm. because we are so um, normally s- – getting off so easy compared to all of what we do in this world against um, against what we should be doing. The other thing to keep in mind is that the, the suffering of this world is the soil in which our virtues are supposed to manifest. It's the conditions that um, God provides us so that we are our virtues, which are all inside us. They have potential. They're seeds. But unless we have the right conditions and unless we have the right food and, and nurture those virtues, they, they, will, they won't manifest. They won't grow. And, and sometimes those hardships are, are those conditions so that patience can bloom, so that um, gratitude can, can grow. And they aren't – suffering doesn't exist simply because something's wrong with the world, but, but because the, these are the conditions. This is the soil in which human beings can become the best that they can be. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important, like, for example, when we talk about virtues like sabr, like patience – how are you going to have or build that virtue if you never have situations where you have to be patient? Um, and similarly with, with all the virtues, rida, contentment, uh, you know, if you think about it like you want to be in shape, right? And you want, in order to build the muscle that you want um, in your body, you have to work it out. You have to lift, you have to lift. And in fact, the more that you lift, the stronger you become. So, I mean, it's very similar with it, in the it, spiritual world. Very much so. I mean, how, how will we ever learn to forgive if no one ever wrongs us? That's true. How, how do we um, learn to, um, to see ourselves as, as small and insignificant if, if, we're, if we're always just receiving praise? I mean, there's so many things that um, we can only grow through sometimes these hardships. That's absolutely true. And, and, and at the end of the day, this isn't our home. I mean, dunya is, is just a, 
um, you know, a bridge to take us, inshallah, to our, to our true home. And the more that, you know, if you think about this life, if this life was perfect, uh, and we never, you know, we never built these virtues, but also if we never encountered anything less than what we wanted, uh, few of us would ever yearn for anything else, right? It would, we would, we would be completely satisfied and, and, and few of us would have that, that yearning for what is beyond, which is, you know, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah we'll end inshallah um you know tune in next week with serenity at 3:30 Wednesday assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh